Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, starting from verse 12 on page 1891 of Black Bibles. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it shall not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Good morning. Let me uh, encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be kind of looking through that passage that uh, Mark's just read for us. So thank you, Mark. I um, also encourage you to have, our, have your leaflets open. You'll have find an outline in there of uh, what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, and also there should behind me be an SMS number. Uh, feel free to text in whatever questions you have and we'll uh, think about some of those. Uh, can I say welcome along to Trinity Church Unley today? 
If I haven't met you before, my name's Matt. I'm a minister in training here at the church. Uh, and together for the last few weeks, we've been going through this letter, this letter of 1 Peter, which Peter himself calls a brief letter, you would have seen at the end there, uh, which I think is a bit... Uh, he's got an interesting definition of brief. There's a lot uh, that we've gone through. And I think it's been a, uh, a great letter. Uh, as we look at the last part of the letter today, what I want us to do is I want us to think about uh, the so what question, right? Like, what, is, what does this letter actually mean for us? You know, this letter was written almost 2,000 years ago to uh, the early church. What does it mean for us in Adelaide in 2018? So I wonder why you think the book of 1 Peter matters. I guess to answer that question, we need to think a bit about uh, what we've seen as we've gone through the book. If you were here, I don't know if you remember, but the very first week we started off on 1 Peter, we asked the question as to whether Peter is an optimist or whether Peter is a pessimist. What we kind of concluded is that Peter's realistic because he's dealing with these kind of difficult things that his readers are going through. He's realistic, but he's optimistic. He's got a lot of positive things to say about the Christian life and about the hope that Christians have. You know, we have an imperishable inheritance that we can look forward to. And so Christians have great reason to hope, but Peter's readers still are going through hard times. He's writing to these Christians in ancient Turkey, and they're being maligned, they're being insulted, they're being abused for their faith. And so I think if we wanted to sum up the book of 1 Peter, we would say something like, it's about how Christians should live as they keep having hope and as they're suffering and are attacked for their faith. So how can Christians live and keep having hope as they suffer? But we still need to ask the question then, well, what, is this, what does this matter to us? Why is this something that we need to hear? Why should Christians in Adelaide care about this sort of message? We're not about to walk out the door today and get attacked because we're Christians. In the very first verse of our passage today, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. As I read this verse, another question jumps out at me. As Christians in Adelaide in 2018, should we expect to suffer for our faith? Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Should Christians in Adelaide be, in 2018, be surprised if we're persecuted? What do you think? Should we be surprised or should we be unsurprised if we are treated badly because of our faith? Peter's readers knew that suffering was a normal thing for Christians, a normal thing for Christians. They were used to it. Uh, we've seen that all the way through the book. They were insulted, ostracized. To them, suffering was the reality and they had no indication that things are going to get any better anytime soon. In fact, if you go and look at the history, it's quite interesting. Things for Peter's readers actually just got worse and worse. I'm going to actually put up on the screen for us the very first verse of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. This is how the letter started off. And you can see in this verse the people that Peter was writing to. He was writing to Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And there's actually a very famous letter uh, it's written by one of the governors of some of these places. Uh, the governor's name was Pliny, so he's a Roman governor. His name is Pliny. He was the governor of Pontus and Bithynia, so two of these provinces. Uh, I'm going to put up on the screen now part of Pliny's letter, and his letter was discussing how the Romans should treat Christians. He was writing to Caesar, he was writing to the emperor, 
Uh, and this is what he says. Remember, he's the governor of some of these places that Peter was writing to. He says, I've never participated in trials of Christians. I therefore do not know what is the practice to punish or investigate and to what extent. And I've been not a little hesitant as to whether there should be any distinction on account of age or no difference between the very young and the more mature. In the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I've observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy surely deserve to be punished. At the time Peter wrote his letter, his readers were just being verbally insulted. We can only assume from Pliny's letter that was written about 40 years later that things got worse and worse. Likely the same people that Peter was writing to 40 years later might have been some of the first people that were executed under a Roman government. What ends up happening is this this letter, it spreads through the ancient world. It goes to all these other Roman governors all over uh, the Roman Empire. And it becomes a precedent as Roman leaders all over the empire see this letter and they think that's how we should do it too. Christians began to be killed in their hundreds and thousands. The people Peter was writing to ended up being smack bang in the middle of the start of thousands of of Christian executions. I wonder if as the Christians began to be killed, if some of the older ones still remembered getting Peter's letter. Probably they still had copies of Peter's letter. Maybe they were still reading it. Maybe they read these words. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. It's so hard to picture what it would have been like living in the ancient world, isn't it? Peter's readers started off by being insulted verbally. Things got worse and worse. Before long, there was the threat of being executed for their faith. Part of the reason that it's so hard for us to imagine what it would have been like living in these times is that so much has happened between then and now. Yes, at the time of Peter's letter, Christians were verbally persecuted and things got worse and worse for a while. Uh, But then something very significant happened around the year 300. There was an emperor by the name of Constantine and Constantine became a Christian. And very quickly, the whole Roman Empire became this Christian empire. It was the start uh, of something we call Christendom. Since that time, Christianity has dominated the Western world. Christendom meant that suddenly, after being persecuted for a few hundred years, suddenly it was an advantage to be a Christian. And see, we live in a totally different time to the time of Peter's readers. We live on the other side of hundreds and hundreds of years of a world that has been dominated by Christianity. Over the last couple of thousand years, emperors have been Christians, kings and queens have been Christians. Until recently, all of Australia's prime ministers were all Christians. Christianity has always had the power. I don't know if you realize this though, but we live in 2018 and we live in a very significant time. Back in Peter's day, it was very hard to be a Christian and then fairly quickly things changed. Christianity's then had the power for 1700 years 
And now it seems like things are changing again. People say that Christendom is dead. Once again, it's harder to be a Christian. And that's not necessarily easy to accept, but I think it's, it's true, at least to some extent, things are changing. I don't want to just, just for, for your interest, just put before you a couple of examples just to think about uh, how things are changing. I wonder if you saw uh, this article in the news this week. I've got a picture here. Uh, the story is about an Australian wedding magazine. It's called White Magazine. The magazine was run by a Christian couple, uh, and because of their faith, they decided that they were only going to include weddings between a man and a woman in their magazine. And because of that decision, they copped a lot of criticism. They copped attacks. The magazine's been forced to close down. I know whatever you think about that, it's a, it's a sign, isn't it, that being a Christian in 2018 is uh, not necessarily popular anymore. It's, it actually, I think, reminds me a bit of what was going on in the book of 1 Peter. I've got another example. Uh, at Flinders Uni, there's a religious centre. It's like a building. Uh, a couple of years ago, Flinders Uni came out with a policy that said uh, groups could only use the religious centre if they agreed that all religions were equally valid. The Christian group at Flinders Uni, of course, they believed the words of Jesus. They, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So it's not like the Flinders Uni Christian group was against the other religions or anything. They got along fine, but they did believe that Christianity was the only way. Because of that belief, they were actually kicked out of the religious center. That's kind of funny, isn't it? In a sad sort of way. I think the uni did change its mind after a little while, after they realised that the Islam group and all the other groups uh, also had similar beliefs. We're just living in a world, aren't we, which is a bit like the world of Peter's recipients. Just like those Christians in ancient Turkey, there are Christians today who are suffering because of the things they believe. And just like in ancient Turkey, I do think there's a fair chance that things might get worse. And because we do live on the other side of this thing called Christendom, I think actually some of us can still be quite surprised when mistreatment does come. I actually think we should hear Peter's words that he writes at the start of this section. I think we actually should be unsurprised. I think actually the privileged position Christianity has had in the West for the past 1,700 years, I actually think we should see that as the exception, that as the surprising thing. Actually, what we should expect as Christians is some suffering. We follow a saviour who suffered and died and went to the cross. And Jesus said his followers should take up their own cross. That has always been what Christianity is about. Now, I don't think that means that suffering is inevitable for everyone, or I don't think that means that if we're not suffering, that there's you know, something going wrong with us or anything like that. Uh, even if you notice in Peter's letter, kind of the language he uses, he doesn't say sufferings are definite. You know, verse 14, he says, if you are insulted. Verse 15, he says, if you suffer. Verse 16, if you suffer. Uh, so it's not like he's assuming that everyone is going to be suffering. Uh, I don't think suffering is definitely the reality for every person. Uh, I don't think it's a definite, but I don't think it should be surprising either. I think it might be something that might be the reality for some of us. Can I ask then how you feel about this idea? How do you feel about the idea of uh, Christian suffering? And how do you feel about that idea that it might be an unsurprising thing, something we should expect? Uh, it's hard, isn't it? For those of us in the room who have made that decision to call ourselves Christian, uh, it makes us think a bit more seriously about that decision, doesn't it? 
Are we really committed to bearing the name of Christ? I think if suffering does come, we need to be ready. And therefore, I think in 2018, we need this letter of 1 Peter. This is maybe a weird way to say it, but I actually think we need the letter of 1 Peter a lot more now than Christians have for a long time. I think it's uh, more relevant now than it's been perhaps even since Peter's day. I hope you're feeling the urgency in what we're reading. Uh, Suffering is something that might be coming. We need to be ready. Uh, The question then is, how do we get ready? What should we do? How should we respond to this idea that hard times might be a possibility? So as we finish our time in 1 Peter, I just want to pull out for us three things uh, from chapter 5. In view of what we've been reading, I think we need to, number one, have humility. Number two, I think we need to stand firm. And number three, we need to have hope. In view of what we've been reading, I think we need to do those three things. First of all, let's think about humility. If you look at the start of chapter 5 with me, Peter starts it off by addressing elders, 5 verse 1, to the elders among you. Uh, And then a little later on in verse 5, he says, those who are younger. He speaks to those who are younger. And when Peter is talking about the elders and the younger people, uh, he's not necessarily kind of talking about age so much as uh, position within the church. So he's talking about uh, those who are shepherds of the flock. Uh, And then he's talking about the others, those who are younger and uh, look up to those shepherds. And if you've been with us, we've had this idea of submission. It's come up a bit in uh, 1 Peter and it comes up here again. And once again, there's a two-sided picture of submission, isn't there? The pastors, the shepherds, should care for their people, love, care, and humbly be examples to the people in their churches. And the people in their churches should humbly submit to that leadership. Across both scenarios, there's this idea of humility, isn't there? Pastors should be humble. Those submitting to pastors should be humble. Peter says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. It's quite clear that Christians need to be humble, humble before God, humble in the way in which we deal with one another, humble in the face of any persecution that comes our way. And just thinking again about that example of white magazine that's closed down, uh, thinking about humility. I, I read the article about the magazine close, closing down and I, I just thought the comments that the people who own the magazine made were a good example for us. They said, White Magazine has always been a secular publication, but as its publishers, we are Christian. We have no agenda but to love. We have no desire to create a social, political, or legal war, which only divides people further and does more damage than good. We're also just two humans fumbling our way through these big questions. Unlike anyone else, we don't have all the answers. I just thought it's a humble attitude. I get that these are controversial issues, these are tricky issues, uh, but a humble attitude, I think, makes a big difference. This is the sort of humble attitude we need to have as it gets harder to be Christians in Australia. Notice as well in what Peter's saying that uh, we're called to be humble for a reason. He actually gives a reason as well. Look at verse 4, for example. He says, the elders, the shepherds, uh, they're called to be humble so that when the chief shepherd appears, that is Jesus, so when Jesus appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then it's the same for the ones who are younger. Uh, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hands, that he may lift you up in due time. Verse 6. So as Christians, if we're humble, it actually gives God the opportunity to lift us up. So it's actually for a reason. It gives God the opportunity to lift us up and bring more glory to himself. So I think as we potentially face 
increasing likelihood of suffering and persecution, we need to remember to be humble. Secondly, I think we need to remember to be to stand firm. We need to remember to stand firm. I asked before how you feel about this idea of suffering being a likely thing for Christians as we go forward. I expect many of us, when we think about these things, feel some amount of fear. What does Peter say to that? Verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Peter expects us to be a bit anxious, to be a bit fearful when we think about the potential of suffering for our faith. But he says to cast our anxieties onto God because we have a God who cares for us. Peter goes on, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible, it's interesting what the Bible says about the devil. It says a number of things. Uh, but here's two things that the Bible says very clearly about the devil. Uh, number one, it says that the devil is real. So we shouldn't pretend like we're living in a world where there is no enemy, where we don't have any enemies. Uh, that's number one. But number two, the Bible also says that the devil has been defeated. It says that on the cross, Jesus triumphed over the devil. Because of the cross, Christians are free from sin and free from any accusation that the devil might make. We are right before God. We're saved. We're redeemed. We belong to Jesus, not to the devil. And so, sure, the devil is real. But actually, if we belong to Jesus, we have no real reason to fear the devil. The devil has no real power over us. You could say we should be alert but not alarmed. The devil is real. But the only way he can attack a Christian is if we separate ourselves from Jesus, if we're not in Christ. If things get hard, if Christians start to be persecuted more and more, and out of fear, uh, we all start walking away from Jesus and walking away from the church. If we leave Christ and his body, if we stop coming to church regularly and we no longer call ourselves one of Jesus' people, actually that's when maybe we need to be afraid. That's when we need to realize that we might be putting ourselves in serious danger. If we stand firm in Jesus, we have no reason to fear. Uh, but we do need to stay in Jesus. We need to stand firm. So in verse 9, Peter says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I actually think this is a great reminder for us, and I want to spend some time to think about uh, this idea that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So far this morning, we've been talking about the West, the Western world, how things have been good for Christians for sort of 1,700 years. Uh, now maybe they're getting harder again. Uh, but Peter's given us a good reminder that Christians in other parts of the world, they face the same kind of persecution that Peter's been talking about, and worse, and they face it every day, and they always have. So I've given you a couple of examples already of how things are getting slightly harder for Christians in Australia, but I, I just want to lift our vision a little bit this morning and think about uh, the sort of things that some of our brothers and sisters are going uh, facing every day in other parts of the world. Uh, because compared to them, we actually have it still really good. We have it really good. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples then. I've got a photo here. Uh, this is a photo of a woman named Asia Bibi. Asia's a Christian farm worker from Pakistan. She's from Pakistan. Uh, Asia's been in the news recently a fair bit, actually. Not 
um, probably the sort of mainstream news, like our six o'clock news that we get on TV here, because they tend to stay uh, well clear of these sort of issues. Uh, but in 2009, Asia was accused of blasphemy. She lives in Pakistan, and the Pakistani government said that she disagreed with Muhammad, and because she disagreed with Muhammad, she was put on death row. And she's been on death row for almost 10 years. Actually, in the past couple of weeks, though, Asia's been released. Many Christians have been praying for Asia for uh, almost 10 years as she's been on death row, uh, and those prayers have been answered. It turns out there wasn't actually any real evidence of her really saying anything against Muhammad anyway, uh, so they were forced to let her go. Uh, but things are still hard for Asia. Uh, she's still trying to get out of Pakistan. She's out there at the moment. Uh, she's trying to move to the UK and seek asylum. Uh, but the controversy has been that the UK government are refusing to grant her asylum because they're worried about offending their own Muslim population. What about this story from India? In India this year, uh, there's been a dramatic rise in the number of attacks by Hindu extremists on churches. You know, there's been 64 attacks on churches for the year so far. Uh, let me read you something from a recent report. Uh, it starts in late October 2018. So late October 2018, just think about that for a minute. That's only four weeks ago or something like that. A group of believers were enjoying fellowship at a hotel in Agra City when without warning, warning a mob of 40 to 50 Hindu extremists forced their way into the room wielding bamboo poles and hockey sticks. The Christians present, including many women, were savagely beaten, leaving at least seven in a serious condition. When the police arrived, and you think, okay, good, the police are there. When the police arrived, several Christians were detained on charges of hurting religious sentiments. None of the attackers are arrested, and local police are refusing requests from Christians to investigate the attack. Uh, it's funny, we think of India, Australia's playing India in cricket tonight. I think of a number of friends who I know have traveled to India recently. I've seen pictures, it looks like a beautiful country. I'd love to visit India, that's something I'd love to do, a beautiful country, uh, but there are some very dark places in India for Christians. I've got one more example, this is from Africa, from the Central African Republic. Uh, this happened on the 15th of November, so the 15th of November, last Thursday, just over a week ago. Uh, let me read from this article. More than 40 people were killed in a militia attack on a Christian mission in Allendau, around 180 miles east of the Central African Republic's capital, Bangui, on the 15th of November. The attackers torched a church and forced 20,000 displaced people who were sheltering in an adjacent compound to flee. A local politician told journalists, we have counted 42 bodies so far, but we are still searching for others. The camp has been burned to the ground and people fled into the bush. Friends have been saying that we should be unsurprised if more suffering starts to come our way. To many of our sisters and brothers all over the world, uh, they don't need to hear that message. Suffering for them is a reality every day, a normal part of being a Christian. Peter says we should stand firm because we know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. When these little bits of suffering come our way, uh, we need to know that we're not alone. We need to stand firm too. 
Peter said we need to have humility, we need to stand firm. Lastly, I do want us to see that Peter finishes again with hope. He's still an optimist. Have a look at verse 10 and 11 with me. Peter finishes with these great words, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. We shouldn't be surprised if suffering comes, but we do know that it comes only for a little while. You might remember Peter used the same words right back in chapter 1. Suffering is for a little while. And we know that once suffering ends, we will receive our imperishable inheritance, our inheritance that is safe. And it's great encouragement uh, for anyone too who feels like they're not sure whether they can stand firm in the faith. Maybe you feel a bit like uh, one of those towers that the girls built before, uh, pretty shaky. God himself will make you strong, firm and steadfast. And so even if we do come away from the book of 1 Peter in a slightly somber mood, suffering may come, it might be hard. Ultimately, we still come away with hope, don't we? Peter's still optimistic. And the Christian life is worth it. And if things in Australia do get harder, even if we do start to see some of these things that happen already all around the world, even if we do start to see more of those happening here, still the Christian life will be worth it. Jesus will still be Lord, our inheritance will still be safe, we'll still have eternal glory in Christ. Nothing can take those things away. And what's more actually, as Christianity in the West starts to perhaps lose some of the power that it's had for the past 1700 years or so, uh, that actually does bring with that lots of opportunities as well. We'll have more reason as Christians to be united and to care for one another. We'll have more opportunity to stand out from those around us. I think actually uh, there's going to be great opportunities for evangelism. Uh, because if Christianity loses some of its power, it actually gives us opportunity to focus more on the core of what we're meant to be doing, telling people about Jesus. You know, in the past couple of years, I've actually come across a few people uh, here in Adelaide uh, who know literally nothing about Jesus. That's kind of a sign that our world is changing, and in some ways it's kind of tragic, but when someone doesn't know anything about Jesus, they're actually very interested in hearing about Jesus. I think deep down, people are de still desperate to hear the truth. And as our world maybe starts to dismiss Christianity, I actually think that will give us more opportunities uh, to talk to people who still want to hear about it, not less. Uh, friends, I hope you've seen that as a church, we need this book of 1 Peter. Uh, we especially need it now as the world is changing. If suffering does come, I do think we should be unsurprised uh, we need to stand firm in the faith, but we can stand firm, knowing that after we have suffered a little while, God himself will restore us and make us strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Uh, dear Father God, we come to you today after a challenging word, a challenging book. Uh, we know that Peter's readers suffered terribly. We know that Christians all over the world today are suffering in terrible ways. We thank you that in Australia we still have things really good, that we have great tolerance, great ability to be able to meet together, to be able to worship you. We bring before you this morning those who are suffering all over the world because they bear the name of Christ. Help them to stand firm as we stand firm. 
Help them to resist the temptation to walk away from Jesus. And Father, we do thank you that uh, we have a great hope. Thank you that we have a living hope, hope of an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Thank you that we have hope because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection. And we pray in his name.